0: First Peter chapter two verse nine. And it says this, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The first part of the verse tells us who we are. The second part of the verse tells us what we're to do. This is who we are. We're chosen, we're unique, we're royal, we're holy. This is who we are. Now that we know who we are, this is what we are to do. We're to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. Okay? In our next part of this series coming up <coughs> next month, we're going to talk about how we do that. How do we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Turn with me into the Old Testament, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to read this whole entire chapter, 13 verses. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Love this story. Because it's a story that's just kind of tucked in there that if you read through Second Samuel, you're kind of reading along and everything's following in sequence. And then this one pops up. Really doesn't have anything to do with verse, uh, chapter 8 or chapter 10. Um, but just kind of God put it in there. I think there's some things that we can discover out of that tonight. Second Samuel 9, starting in verse 1. It says this, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I might show my kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called, to him, called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Makir, the son of Emile, at Lodabar. King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Mil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table all your days. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Verse 9, Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem... For he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word tonight. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. God, I pray that your word would come alive to each and every one of us and speak to us where we're at tonight. God, that you would speak to certain issues and circumstances in our lives that tonight we would walk out of here encouraged in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I am... I am. It's important for us to understand who we are in Christ. If we don't settle who we are in Jesus Christ, if we don't settle what the Bible says about us, then we'll begin to get our definition about ourselves from someplace else. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, that definition of who we are will either come from a, a, you know, a mom or a dad, which, man, if you've got great parents, man, they're speaking life over you, they're speaking the word of God over you, and that's awesome. But it's going to come out of a relationship or, or maybe it'll come out of something you do and you find, you find satisfaction in doing this thing. And because you find satisfaction in doing this thing, you now allow that to become the defini- definition of who you are. But it's essential that we understand who we are in Christ Jesus because we believe that our design equals our purpose. So we discover who we are, now we can fulfill why we are. We've been looking at 1 Peter 2.9 We've already talked about chosen. We talked to unique last week. Today I want to talk to you about this word royal. The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood. Okay? Now I don't want to so much focus on priesthood tonight because that begins to get into what we do or our function. I want to focus on the word royal. The Bible calls you and I royal. Now, if you're like my kids who are you're probably not because they're seven and five. But if you're like them and they like to watch the princess movies and, you know, things like that, when they hear the word royalty, they begin to think immediately to those images. They think of the images of a king. They think of a queen. They think of princes and princesses. And they they think of palaces. I don't know if you guys uh, look at the news much, but just a little while ago there was actually a house for sale. Anybody see this? There was a house for sale that was modeled after a castle right here in San Diego. I just so happened to be looking at the news and my daughter was sitting next to me and she was like, Daddy, what's that? I was like, it's a house. She goes, no, that's a castle, Dad. Dad can, and her, her grandparents had just bought her a horse up in Washington. She goes, Dad, that would go perfect with my horse. I need that castle, Dad. It's like, well, save your money, child. So, anyway, she thinks, and I, and I tell her she does all the time, she believes she's a princess. When you hear the word royal or royalty, something comes to your mind, okay? And it's typically something along those lines. It's typically something along the line of castles and princes and princesses and and royalty. And you think about those things. Here's what the word royal means if you look it up. It's of or pertaining to a king or a queen or another sovereign. Descended from or related to a king or line of kings. So here we are talking about the word royal. What is the word royal? The word royal really means it's coming from royalty, it really does mean king, queen, prince, princess. Okay? So when God comes on the scene through Peter in 1 Peter 2.9, He says, hey, you're royal. And that's the image that immediately comes to mind. Here's what makes this passage of Scripture so powerful, though. It's not just that one, that one verse 9 that, Man, wow, all right, I'm chosen. Okay? Wow, I'm royal. All right, I'm holy. What makes this whole thing so powerful is all of the verses leading up to it. Because if you start in First Peter 1 Peter 1.1, you realize that this is being written to people that are scattered throughout the country. They're hiding in fear for their lives. They're not living as princes and princesses. They're not living as royalty. They're literally living as paupers. They're hiding in caves. They're, they're living on the outskirts. They are nowhere near the palace. They're nowhere near uh, where royalty's at. They are scared. for the. Why are they scared for their lives? Because they are God's people and God's people are being persecuted at this time. And so they're hiding for fear, really, of their lives. These are the people that God shows up to and says, hey, by the way, I want you to know something. You're chosen, you're unique, and you're royal. He just, see, here's the thing with God. You and I can go to a palace and say, wow, I bet a king lives there. Okay? Or we can see, you know, royalty and be like, wow, that person's royalty. Okay? God does the opposite. God looks down and doesn't see you where you are, but sees you where he wants you to be. And he begins to speak of those things that aren't yet as though they are. And so when he looks down, he might not see royalty yet, he might not see you know the, the culmination of all that, but he looks down and he sees your life and he sees what you're supposed to become and what he wants you to become by his grace. And this is what's happening in First Peter. He's looking down, and he's seeing all these people that are scattered, and, and really because if you read the scriptures, you understand that they're disconnected. They feel like they have no hope. They feel like, man, nothing's going to work out. And God comes on the scene through Peter and says, hey, you're royal. Now what happens? A new image begins to fill their minds, begins to give them hope, begins to encourage them. Are you with me tonight? Okay. How many of you guys have the uh, announcer friends in your life? What do I mean by an announcer friend? Okay. I understand announcers, you know, or, or you know, those people that call the plays when it's on the radio because you can't see the game, and so you're listening to the radio, and they, call, they, they, you know what I'm talking about? And you listen to the game. Okay, What I don't understand is when you're watching the television and they have them, because they're just stating the obvious. Are you with me? He's at the 40, he's going to the 30, he's 20, oh, a touchdown! It's like, yep, I saw the same game, thank you very much. Okay? Or you have those commentators, right, and they're commentating about every single thing. Oh, you know, he did, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm watching it. Thank you for commentating on everything that I'm seeing right now, okay? How many of you have those people in your life? Okay, what I mean by that is like, you're sick, right? Anybody ever been sick before? You're sick, and you're at home, and man, you feel miserable. You're all drugged up, you know, with NyQuil, and you haven't showered in a couple days, you know, and your friend walks in and is like, oh, man, you look horrible, why, thank you. I've been sick for two days. You're awesome. Get out of my house. You know, you all know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, I don't need those kind of people. You know, it's like the people that show up on the scene of an accident. Oh, man, it's so horrible. Yeah, it was an accident. Thank you for stating the obvious. Okay, I mean, we have, we've been going now for five months and uh, we're enjoying this journey. And, uh, you know, people afterwards will be like, oh, man, you know, that screen over on the right there, it's kind of flickering a lot. Oh, really? Didn't notice that. Thanks. You know, thanks for stating the obvious, you know. It's like, I, I think we know when things, is it flickering still? No, oh, it's not. Sweet. You just thought in worship though, right? Okay. Stating the obvious. <laughs> people, like, they just, you know, they, they really aren't adding anything to your life. They're not, like, giving you hope. They're not, like, encouraging you. They're just like, dude, you look horrible, you know. You just wake up out of bed in two seconds. They're like, dude, your hair looks, I just woke up. Give me a break, people, okay. Those kind of people. God is not like that. Okay? God is not up in heaven announcing, oh man, you, you're horrible down there. You know? You're a loser. You know? That is not God. God is literally looking at you and he's like, wow, you're royal. You're chosen. You're holy. You're going to make it. Are you with me tonight? I don't know about you, but I've been in those places before where I kind of feel like you know, the people in 1 Peter. Where, man, I feel like I don't have any hope. I'm kind of disconnected. It's like, man, am I ever going to make it through this situation, this circumstance? You know what I like to do? I like to open up the Bible, and I like to begin to read it, and I like to begin to hear what the Bible says about my life. And when I read that, all of a sudden, hope begins to rise up back inside of me. Okay? This is what's happening. When God looks down, here's the coolest thing. Here's the coolest thing in the world. Okay? you got to get this. The Bible says that God is not a man that he can lie. Okay? That means this. That means every time God opens his mouth, it's absolute truth. Okay? He cannot lie. Okay? You've got to get this tonight because this is really cool. Okay? So you and I, we look at a situation and we state the obvious. Oh, man, my bank account says I got two bucks. Great, you know? Oh, man, my relationship, it's on the rocks, you know? Okay? Some of you have to understand, the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those that love it will eat of its fruit. Okay? Stop being the announcer over your life or allowing somebody else to be the announcer and allow the word of God to speak over your life. Because last time I read, your bank account might look horrible, but the Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed having to bake bread. Okay? Are you with me tonight? Okay? When you're sick, it's like, oh, have you ever been around those people that when they're sick, they're like, oh, I feel so horrible, I'm so sick, and that's all they say for 24-7? Oh, does that make you feel better? talking about how bad you feel, you know? At least you're not dead, okay? You could be walking around saying, man, I'm alive to enjoy this disease right now. Hallelujah, you know? I mean, come on, put a positive twist on it, would you? Okay? Jeez, people. <laughs> Jesus, help me. Okay. Here's what you've got to understand. The Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. That means every time he opens his mouth, it's absolute truth, Okay? That means every time he speaks over your situation, it doesn't matter what your situation looks like, it only matters what he says about it. Okay? In other words, if if God was to come here and he was to, like, let there be air conditioning, boom, there would be air conditioning instantly, even though there isn't right now. Okay? Or maybe he would say uh, something like, "Um, man, it's really cool in here. Before he could finish the word cool, it would be cool like that. Because if it's not cool in here, God would be a... You're catching on, okay? In other words, man, the minute God speaks, it's like everything comes together to create it and make it happen because he cannot lie, you know? So God could show up and say, wow, those are nice, soft, cushiony chairs you're sitting in. There it would be, just like that. How many of you guys wish God would do that right now? Maybe with a little AC button on it, all right, you know? That's God. God does not look, oh, man, you're sitting in some hard metal chairs, man. Okay? No, no, whatever God speaks over a situation. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 9 before I ramble too long, okay? 2 Samuel 9 paints this great picture for us. It paints a picture of of, of what is not, but what is to come, okay? Here's the story. If you understand the story, you understand this. You understand that, that David is now king. Before David was king, there was a man named Saul. He was anointed by God to be king through Samuel. He had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan was next in line to become king, except for Saul messed it all up for him and for his whole entire family. So the Bible says that God went and chose another, and he chose David. Okay? Saul and Jonathan now die in the battlefield. So David comes along, and man, he's going to move into the royal palace. He's going to take over this thing. Okay? Here he comes. Here's a man named Mephibosheth in chapter 9. David looks at this story and says, Man, I want to show kindness to the house of Saul, really the house of Jonathan, because Jonathan and David were friends. I want to show kindness to him. Is there anybody I can show kindness to? Someone says, yeah, Mephibosheth. Here's how Mephibosheth comes into the story. He is the son of Jonathan. And years before, when David was coming into the kingdom to occupy the palace, after Saul and Jonathan were killed, the palace catches wind that Jonathan and Saul are dead, and now they begin to get Fearful. And the nurse of Mephibosheth picks up Mephibosheth. And you can read this in 2 Samuel 4.4. The nurse of Mephibosheth picks up Mephibosheth and begins to flee the royal palace. Begins to run away from what was theirs. Begins to run away from that royalty. Begins to run away from that place, okay? And as he's running, the Bible says that the nurse falls, lands on Mephibosheth, cripples his feet. Here we are now years later, and Mephibosheth is still crippled, okay? David discovers that he's there, he says this, I want to show kindness to him, he was royal, I want to bring him back to that place of royalty. He used to live, now catch this now, he used to live in the palace, and it wasn't until fear came and gripped his life that he then began to run away from the palace, and in fleeing the palace, the Bible says he becomes crippled. Listen to me tonight, when you begin to run from your call and you begin to run from your destiny, and you begin to run from what God has spoken over your life or called you to, you are crippling yourself. What happens when you get crippled? You're unable to move. Unable to move, you're unable to fulfill the destiny and the dream that God has for you. But one word from the king changed everything. One word from King David changes the whole entire scenario. One word from God Speaking over your life changes the whole entire scenario. Here was was Mephibosheth, and if you look at it, he's literally living in the outskirts. He's living in a place called Lodabar, and Lodabar means no pasture, no greenery. In other words, it was a deserted desert place. He was the rightful heir, but he got removed from that, and he's now living in obscurity. And one word from King David takes him out of a place of obscurity and takes him back into the palace. I don't know about you, but I'd rather live in the palace than live in the deserted, desolate place. Are you with me tonight? So here he is. One word from the king. He comes. Now listen to what he says about himself. Mephibosheth looks at himself and says, man, I'm nothing but a dead dog. But King David says, no, you're going to live here and be as one of my sons. You might feel like that sometimes. You might feel like you don't belong. You might feel like the Jews and the people of God in First Peter disconnected, living in the outskirts. But one word, God shows up and says, hey, guess what? You're royal. And that one word changes everything in your life. One word changed Mephibosheth's whole entire life. He went from living in obscurity to living in the palace. I don't know about you, but that's an exciting story. What's that mean for us? What's that mean for us? Think about this. Think about how God God looks at people throughout the whole entire Bible. Judges chapter 6, God looks down at a man named Gideon. If you don't know the story, Gideon, man, he is hiding from the enemy in fear. And God doesn't show up like an announcer on the scene and say, Hey, scaredy cat, what are you doing hiding? He shows up on the scene, assesses the situation, and says, Hey, you mighty man of valor. What does he do? He speaks that thing over his life. He speaks a new image for him. Think about Moses. Think about Moses, man, when he was supposed to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. God shows up to in a burning bush and says, hey, you, I want you to do this. And what does Moses say? We, we talked about this like three or four times. Man, I am not the right guy. I'm not the right guy. I'm not the right guy. you got the wrong person. Think about the disciples in the New Testament. God looks at them and says, or Jesus looks at them and says, I, I want to I take you along this journey. What does he do? He calls those things that aren't yet as though they are. What does this mean for you and I? Let's wrap it up here. What does this mean for you and I? When God shows up on the scene through Peter and says, Man, you're royal, what does that mean to you and I? Because he calls me royal, number one, if you're a note taker, number one, I know I'm under a king. Look at the very definition. You can't be royal unless you come from a lineage of royalty. Because he shows up on the scene and says, Hey, you're royal, that means that I'm under a king. If I'm under a king, that means I have protection. That means I have security. That means I have provision. That means I'll have everything I need for life and godliness. The very fact that he calls me royal. Not because he looks at me and sees that I'm royal, but because that's what he wants me to become. Galatians 2.20 says this, It's no longer I live, but it's Christ Jesus who lives in me. In other words, I'm no longer living like I was. It's no longer that person. But it's now the image that Christ Jesus has for my life that now I can live, and I live for him. I might have looked at my life, I might have looked at my situation, and said, wow, it's bad, it's ugly. I don't know how it's going to work out, but God comes on the scene. and When you look at the people, man, when I look at my own life, maybe you look at your own life, okay? And I look at my own life, it's like, wow, God, you called me to be a pastor? Wow. Some of you might be sitting here thinking that, man, God, you want me to do that? I can't. He's speaking it over your life. It's no longer you who live. It's Christ who lives in you. Because he calls you royal, you know that you're under a king. You no longer have to live in obscurity on the outskirts. Number two, because he calls me royal, number two, I know I have a place at the king's table. I know I have a place at the king's table. I don't just, I don't just, you know, know that I have a king and wow, okay, great, I have a king but I'm still living out here. I know I have a king, but not only that, look at the story. He invites me to the table. And it says that he would sit at the table as one of the sons. Listen to me tonight. Jesus Christ did not just die on the cross because, okay, sins, they're all forgiven. He died on the cross because he wanted a relationship with you. He wanted to be, be personal with you. The Bible calls us the children of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. He's your king. You have a place with him. You have a place at the table. You don't have to live in obscurity Ephesians 2 6 says this I've been seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places Wow, I'm a son I'm a prince I'm not a pauper I- I- I'm royalty he calls me royal. this is who I am think about royalty I mean obviously the minute you think about it, you begin to think the way they dress all those things when he calls you royal man it's calling you into a different lifestyle it's calling you into a different place man the image Absolutely changes of who you are. Because he calls me royal, number three. Because he calls me royal, I know all my shame is covered. I know all my shame is covered. I know all my shame is covered. Think about this. Mephibosheth's name, if you study it out, some would say that it means shame. But as you continue to study it, His name went from shame to become destroyer of shame. Literally, if you watch Mephibosheth's life, he was in the palace, age of five, has to be taken away from the palace. In the process of that, shame comes on his life because when you leave God, are you with me tonight? Shame comes on his life. Now he's being called back into that place of royalty and now, man, what was, what was, what was uh, causing obscurity in his life, what was causing him to live on the outskirts now gets totally, completely changed and he's now living in the palace again and he begins to destroy that shame. About three or four times it says this, that he was crippled in both feet. He was crippled in both feet. He was unable to fulfill his destiny. He was unable to fulfill his dream. but his shame gets covered. The thing that was causing shame. Look at this. See, when he, gets, he, when he gets invited to the table, okay, when he comes to that table, man, it says this. It says that he would sit at the king's table every single meal. And then the last, if you look at the last, very last statement in nine, it says, now he was crippled in both feet. But look at this. When he comes up and he sits down at the king's table. The king's table now covers his crippledness. The king's table now covers everything. God's grace covers everything. Look at this verse. Look at this. Write this one down. Galatians 3, verse 8. The table absolutely levels the playing field. The Bible says in, in uh, Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew, nor Gentile, male, nor female, for they've all become one in Christ Jesus. In other words, when they came in to the table, why the table? The table throughout the Bible represents a covenant agreement. When they would make a covenant with one another, they would sit down at the table, they would break bread, they would share a meal, thus sealing the covenant that they just made with one another. So the table is so significant in this story because the king says, hey, you're going to be one of my sons, and every time you sit at that table, I'm going to remind you of the covenant that we've made with one another, that you are now royal, that you're now one of my sons, and every time we break bread, it's it's remembering that that covenant, just like when we do the uh, breaking of the bread and we do communion together, the Bible says, do this now in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done. What are we doing? We're remembering the covenant that God has made to us through his son Jesus Christ. That our sins are forgiven, our sins are covered. And here he is, Mephibosheth, he sits at that table, covenant every meal, reminding him, wow, not only that, the table now covers his shame. When he's sitting at that table, he can't see his legs. He can't see his crippledness. He can't see his sin. He can't see his shame. And not only can he not see it, but anyone else that walks into that room, he's sitting at that table. No one can see his crippled feet. No one can see his shame. No one can see his sin. I'm so glad, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that God's grace has covered my life. That when he called me royalty, he brought me in to a place where I could sit with him, a place that I could dine with him, because there, man, my shame is covered. There, man, my mistakes are covered. There, when you walk in, you can't see any of my stuff. Aren't you glad no one can see your stuff? (laughs) I might just bring a table from now on and just preach behind a table. (laughs) You can't see my sin. I don't know about you, but I'm glad you can't see my mistakes. Because none of you would be sitting here listening to me share the word if you could see my mistakes. And you know what? No one would probably listen to you either if they could see your mistakes. But aren't you thankful, man, for the table that covers our crippledness? That when anybody walks in, man, the, the playing field is leveled at the table. Think about this. The Bible says in Psalms that he'll prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies, in the midst of my battle, in the midst of the enemies that I'm fighting. I don't know what enemies you're fighting tonight, but in the midst of fighting those enemies, whether it be poverty, whether it be sickness, whether it be uh, things on your job, whether it be relationship stuff, guess what God does? God prepares a table right there, slaps it down and covers your shame, levels the playing field. So when people look at you, they're not looking at your crippledness. They're looking at that table that you're sitting behind. They're looking at the grace of God in your life. Are you with me tonight? This is what it means when he calls me royal. He's not calling me royal because I am. He's calling me royal because he's calling me to royalty. When he calls me royal, it means I have a king. It means I have a place at the table. And I'm so thankful it means that my shame, my sin, my crippledness is covered. And I'll sit there with them. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. What's it, what's it going to say? If anyone would open up the door, I would come in and I would feast with them. Wow. If anyone would open up, I would bring a table and I would set that table down over their crippledness, over their shame. I would cover it. And I would do 2 Corinthians 5, 17 in their life. Behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is what it means when he calls me royal. I might feel like the Jews, scattered, hopeless, insecure, no vision for my life. God shows up, sees cushioned chairs. God shows up, man, sees royalty. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that tonight. I'm thankful that he speaks those things that aren't yet in my life as though they are. Because although my life might look like this today, one word from the king can change it all. And man, I go from a place of obscurity to a place of royalty. I go from a place of living on the outskirts to sitting with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God, we thank you for your word tonight. God, we thank you that your word is so relevant for us today. God, we thank you that your word still speaks to us today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you that you're speaking to each and every one of us sitting in this room. God, I don't know all the circumstances that people face. I don't know the battles that they're going through. But God, I do know this, that right in the middle of our enemies, a moment's notice, God, you'll prepare a table. And that table, God, will level the playing field, cover our shame, and you'll feast with us. God, I thank you that you're here tonight, and I thank you that you're here to meet needs. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, you got your good. Can we just do this? Can we just stand tonight as we conclude? Hallelujah. Just close your eyes. I want you to think about this real quick as we close tonight. 7 o'clock on Sunday night. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your own life. Because you might be like Mephibosheth and you might be living on the outskirts and you might feel like you've got no purpose. You might be crippled in your destiny and your dream. You might feel like, like, the, like, like the people of God in First Peter. You might feel scattered. You might feel hopeless. You might feel like, man, is this thing ever going to work out? And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for a good God who doesn't just show up and point out the obvious in my life, but points out the fact that he died on the cross for his son Jesus Christ, that we might have life, we might have that life more abundantly. That I don't have to live in obscurity, but I can live in royalty. That I'm chosen, I'm unique, and I'm holy because of what Jesus Christ did for me. And as you're thinking about your life tonight and you're wondering, is it going to work out? God's saying, yeah, it's going to work out. Say, Ben, how do I get it to work out? I think the key to this whole thing is seen in Mephibosheth's response when he comes to the king. The Bible says that Mephibosheth fell before King David and he paid homage to the king. The only way, the only thing, listen to me, the only thing that's holding you back from royalty, the only thing that's holding you back is pride. All you have to do is bow your knee and allow Jesus in. And one word from the king, one moment in his presence can change everything. and can change everything in your life. Change ever. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 That Jesus Christ Although well, he was God Came down and made himself In the likeness of men And humbled himself To the point of death Death on a cross What's the key? It's humility How did Jesus defeat the devil? Humility How did God defeat the devil? Through Jesus, through humility How do you and I defeat the enemies in our life? Through humility saying, yes, I want to be royalty, but you got to be my king. Yes, I want to be royalty, but I want to sit at your table, God. Yes, I want to be royal, but I need my shame covered because although I might be blameless because of his grace, I'm not faultless and I still blow it and I still make mistakes.